drop. Hi everyone, you're listening to Storyfort Presents Voices of Treefort Music Fest. This is a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. I'm Allison Meyer from the Storyfort team, coming to you from my closet, which is the closest thing I have to a recording studio right now. Our plans for this podcast have definitely shifted a little in recent weeks, but there are some really great interviews we recorded last fall and haven't yet released, and we're excited to continue sharing those with you. And this week we're bringing you one of my favorites. This is an interview I recorded in November along with fellow Story 14 member Amy Burton. And we had a really lovely time talking to Joe Weldon and Frankly Frankie. Frankie, as you hopefully know, is the force behind Frankly Burlesque here in Boise and was one of the founding members of the Red Light Variety Show and has just been involved in a lot of creative projects here in the Treasure Valley. And Joe Weldon is really a burlesque legend and a very prolific writer and activist. Uh, She's the founder of the New York School of Burlesque and the author of The Burlesque Handbook. And her newest book is called Fierce and explores the history of leopard print. It's a really beautiful, fascinating book. And that's actually how all of this relates to Storyfort. We collaborated with Joe and Frankie on a couple of book events while Joe was in town to be part of a Frankly Burlesque show. And we found some time to have this conversation about their work and their many sources of inspiration. We actually spend a lot of time talking about movies and books, so if you're looking for new things to explore right now, this episode is a really good source of recommendations and hopefully just a nice respite in this strange time. We hope you are all staying well and staying home. And if you are among the people who can't stay home right now because you are providing groceries or healthcare, or any of the services we all still need, please just know how grateful we are and that we are thinking about you. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. The first thing I thought we could maybe talk about is how the two of you connected and what you've been working on together. Well, uh, why don't you talk about that, Frankie? Oh, goodness, because then I'm going to sound like a crazy stalker. No. That's okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, Joe's been one of my heroes for a super long time. I got to go to New York some years ago and take classes from her at uh, her school of burlesque and was just even more so Twitter-pated meeting her in real life <laughs> and, like, experiencing her badassery. Uh, and then... It, you know the world of social media and then burlesque things happen and seeing her there but the the time in new york was really wonderful i went back the following year and she allowed me to perform in one of her shows Ooh. which was really like really big deal for me and it felt really lovely but uh so when i was in the planning stages of this show i was like i would like joe weldon to come to boise idaho i'm going to ask her and she said yes <laughs> What's well, incredible for me because I'm, you know, sometimes I meet someone as a student and they've already 
accomplished so much in all these other ways that I, I feel a little abashed going, well, I'm going to teach you this really simple thing. <laughs> um, and also uh, to have someone go to all this work and put together a production. It's, you know, production is so hard and to be invited to be a part of it is really an honor. So I'm really, really, really excited. And is this your first time in Idaho? I believe it's my first time in Idaho. Cool. Well, welcome. Yeah. I'll show you only the good parts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can read about the other shit. I'll well, be <laughs> having fun just hanging out at your house. So. <laughs> so your book. Yes. Your book, I thought, was amazing. Thank it you. Was, it was, um, we want to talk to you about your writing primarily. We'd love to start there. Uh I know that Allison had some specific questions to ask, but I would love to mention how well-researched it is. Yeah, thank you. Seriously, I w it was, you know, I wrote here that it goes from the history of and biology of the leopard itself into garment history and suffrage to the sewing machine, to the bicycle, to, <laughs> I, I mean, to all these really cool things. And I was just following it like a, you know, a weave in a tapestry or something. And and how did you go about researching it? Are you a library girl or a, a Google search girl or what well, do you do? It takes a village, I will say, <laughs> to produce any book. Um, but I had help. Uh, I have friends, you know, Tigger uh, Ferguson, who's also known as, uh, well, he's just known as Tigger in Burlesque, is a librarian at FIT. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my former students, April Callahan, who's also a fashion historian, is... Um, working at FIT. So they supported me. Elizabeth Way, who has access to the collections at FIT, let me look over some items. And um, then I used the New York Public Library and the Brooklyn Library, which had incredible resources. I was so lucky to be in New York. Oh, wow. Um, and then people kind of came out of the woodwork when they heard what I was studying. Mm -hmm. And they would tell me these odd stories that would just sort of set me off. And uh, the animals, um, I was started researching conservation because, you know, uh, there's it's inevitable that you start some of your research online and everything online is somewhat suspect. Although yeah. I found that there were things on Wikipedia, which people make fun of, that were probably more thoroughly fact-checked than some <laughs> of the newspaper articles <laughs> yeah. I was reading. Um you know, it's almost like I, I worked backward from my interest in it to see what the lineage of it was. And I had to choose because there was so much. I could have yeah. done an encyclopedia on leopard print. Um, I had to choose, and I decided to settle on what it means that we can wear it now, which meant I was mostly looking at the industrial era mm. because I had to focus on something because there was so much. But yet that ties it all together so well, especially being a feminist and doing the, the work that you do. I just thought it was fascinating how it, how it all worked together pretty yeah. seamlessly. Well, the history of fashion, I am now convinced after this project, is one of the most fascinating things you can study. It's got sociology. It's yeah. got anthropology. It's got trade history. It's got the history of travel in it. Um, every uh, industrial development relates to it and the choices that people make about what they want to wear and also um you know clothing is regulated mm -hmm. like you may or may not wear this or that at work or yeah. in some places there's laws about what you may or may not wear and it's i'm convinced after doing this work that fashion is one of the best places to study history mm -hmm. honestly because yeah. it's connected to everything like the like you said the garment workers exactly. uh, mm -hmm. the suffragists and Every, it was, I was a blown away by what there was to study. And I also felt like since I wasn't a fashion historian, I wanted to be 
respectful of um, people who are have devoted their lives mm -hmm. to fashion history, and I wanted to make sure that my research uh, lived up to what they had provided and the kind of work they had done. Mm, definitely. Well, I loved it as a seamstress myself and someone oh. who collects vintage patterns from mm -hmm. the 50s and 60s. That's what I used to only wear exclusively once upon a time. Now I'm more, <laughs> I think the term is basic bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Real basic bitch. But hey, you get busy. <laughs> yeah, you do. But I just loved reading the history of the sewing machine and the patents and all that kind of stuff. It was really cool. What was the most surprising thing you learned in your research? I know that might be kind of hard to pinpoint. There were a lot of things. I think what ended up surprising me personally the most was how connected it all felt to the animals because yeah. I'm so used to thinking of everything as just cultural yeah. and not making all the connections that culture has to nature. And so I was surprised at how how much I felt like it actually engaged with the animals as well as the obvious cultural things. Yeah. Mm. I keep thinking now that now every time I see leopard print about my pupils dilating. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. fascinating. Um, but I did want to ask you about kind of your history as a writer mm -hmm. um, because I was reading some other things you'd written and it's it sounds like you've kind of been a writer your whole life or at least since high school. Uh, yeah, I started publishing articles and poetry in high school locally. Yeah. Um, and I stayed pretty local. I was writing for a newspaper called Creative Loafing which is sort of Atlanta's version of the Village Voice. And uh, Tony Paris invited me to write a column about strip joints, which was fantastic because uh, it, I was working in strip joints. Um, I really believed that the women there were interesting and valuable and deserved more respect for the work they were doing than they were getting, not just as humans who do this work that we shouldn't like, but as people whose work actually contributes. Mm -hmm. Sure to um, society and popular culture and everything else. So um, I got to do that column. I had the best time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I was getting paid to write really regularly for the first time and having to put out at least an article a week. So that was great. And then uh, I became involved. Well, I was always involved in anti-censorship activism, even when yeah. I was in high school because they took some books away from me in high school. Oh, no. I was like, no, what no, were the no, books? no, 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 no. Yeah, what books? Uh, surrealist French Poets <laughs> and Rabelais. Oh, man. And uh, they were like, what is it? I think they don't look at all the books they have sometimes. <laughs> and they looked at them, and they were like, oh, this isn't decent. I'm like, well, it's what I want to read. Yeah. Um, and they took it away. So oh uh, there was a bookstore in Atlanta that helped me uh you know, do a formal approach with them. And then I worked with the ACLU informally. And um, then once I started doing adult entertainment and I saw a lot of the ways that they approached um, regulating adult entertainment were either interfering with First Amendment rights or were a form of discrimination. And so I started writing about that. So, I was, And I wrote some academic papers even though I wasn't on an academic oh, track. that's really cool. Which was hard. What were they about? Uh, they were mostly about, um, at the time, like in the late 80s and early 90s, the big debate was about pornography and mm -hmm. uh, the harms and benefits of pornography. So I was writing about, I was mostly doing media analysis of the proposed laws against pornography to evaluate, because I had also done the legislative beat as an intern, and I had been at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, mm -hmm going in and watching legislative sessions and watching how bills yeah. were actually discussed. And I was like, oh, this is 
even if I approved of your goal of eradicating pornography, which I don't, this won't do it. Yeah. This will limit um, needed uh, sexual education materials and queer materials, and yeah. it'll. that's what it's going to affect. Yeah. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to eliminate all this harmful porn. And I said, it's not going to work. It's going <laughs> to, you're going to get censored and they're not, mm-hmm, basically. Yeah. Which I didn't feel the way they felt about porn, yeah. but even if right. I had. So I was used to going into legislative situations, looking at the end goal of the people who were my supposed opponents. Yeah. Um, and not arguing with them about what I wanted, <laughs> but telling them that their their legislation wasn't going to get them what they wanted. And then we'll, I was like, and then we'll work backward from there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get rid of this piece of legislation and then we'll talk. Uh, which worked about <clears throat> half the time. That's still very cool. So, yeah. Did you want to read that? Will you read that one? Oh. <laughs> I, I loved, um, there was something you wrote at the beginning of um, your other book, the Burlesque Handbook, that I wanted to ask you about. Um, I was curious also, just generally, if you ever still write poetry. Rarely. Yeah. Sometimes. Like, I'll be sitting on the subway and I'll just jam something out, but I don't do poetry readings. And my friend Amber Dawn just uh, published a book called Hustling Verse, which I blurbed, but she had hoped that I would submit some poetry and I went back to my yeah. old poetry and I'll be honest, it was too painful to read. Oh, oh no. <laughs> In a cringy kind of way or sometimes, was it just really emotional? Sometimes it was cringy, but it was also uh, poetry that I wrote a lot while I was processing trauma. Yeah. And, you know, you never become the same person you were before a traumatic event yeah, transpired, yeah. but it was reliving it, and she said, you know, a lot of people are saying that. And yeah. I, said, I said, I love you, but I can't do it. Yeah. yeah. So I blurbed it, and the book is Hustling Verse. If you're even remotely curious about sex workers and and if you love poetry as an art yeah. form, it's you must read it, Hustling Verse. Okay, Hustling Verse. Definitely. Um, but the line I wanted to ask you about, <laughs> when you said the structure of the one-page poem and the limerick inform my sense of how choreography and narrative should be structured. And Absolutely. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So um, I, when I'm working on numbers, I want uh, burlesque numbers or dance numbers. I'm trying to work out how all the elements relate to each other, which you do in a poem, both uh, technically and uh, in terms of what the poem's about. So I was a very technical poet when I was young. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very, very <laughs> technical. And um, I I love surrealism. So it isn't that I don't think you can't do something surreal and have it be effective. But if you're not doing something surreal, I like for the beginning and the ending to have a relationship to each other, which in that short of a format, it only makes sense. And I loved having like inner rhyme and wordplay and reflection and inventiveness. And um, I also loved starting out with the words uh, that you use to create a poem that are, um, they resonate for me. Mm -hmm. And then doing research and finding out whether or not they resonate for other people and Mm. finding the term that resonates both for me and the audience because the Mm. original term may not work in terms of, like there's no point in expressing myself if nobody can hear it. Mm -hmm. So I do the same thing in a performance. I want it to be um, from beginning to end a connection to the audience, mm-hmm. take them on a journey, and have it be all in that one package. I want to bring Frankie into the conversation too, and I, I wanted to kind of hear from both of you about um, kind of your history discovering maybe performance generally and then specifically burlesque. Let me condense uh, mm-hmm. my history with performance 
performance is so ingrained in the, my <laughs> my kind of path of life. Uh, so synopsis: um, I didn't finish high school because I was a drug addict, and I went to. Uh, the only thing I did that was sort of extracurricular in the time of high school was theater classes. I was trying to find something, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I really like drugs a lot more, so I definitely went that <laughs> route. But when I got to, when I got sober and I was like, shit, you need to go to school. You have a child. You are supposed to be a responsible adult. People go to college. You didn't finish high school. Like, college it is. Okay, what am I doing in college? I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I was taking intro-level classes. There was a theater teacher there, and I was like, oh, my God, she has what I want. Like, Mm -hmm. that was uh, just her lecturing was, like, what I wanted to feel in my life. And I was like, okay, I've done theater this much before versus anything else that they're offering here because sociology, like, I'm still figuring out what that even means. Uh, So I started in the theater department, and there was a bulletin board with audition notices mm-hmm. and it said auditioning for the Cherry Bombs Burlesque and Cabaret and I was like I think I know what burlesque is uh, My, I grew up listening to like old time radio vaudeville shows mm-hmm. um, and so I knew that there was a relationship there uh, and I was and Lawrence Welk like the variety <laughs> <Yes>. the variety <laughs> shows though right like uh, Lawrence Welk Fever McGee and yeah. Molly like this is what my childhood was um, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I need, I, I am doing something. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned for this burlesque troupe. I did a little bit of research. It was the worst audition I've ever done, but she was also desperate for performers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was fine. So no, wait, were you I here in, in Boise? Or? Yes, I okay. was in Boise. Right. Uh, and Boise didn't really know what burlesque was yeah. then either. Um, it did. It just forgot. Um, <laughs> it really. like, But uh, so that was how I got in. That troupe, troops are hard. People have... Um, mm-hmm personalities that get big, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I did finish my theater degree and I was like, I like this world. First off, it's con- conducive logistically to me um, because I don't, I can't be in rehearsals all night long. Uh, I have a kid, but also like when growing up, like I didn't have an exact passion, but I wanted to be outrageous and a rock star. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I wanted to be. And I had this like raw energy <laughs> mm-hmm. that I needed to yeah. get out somehow. And I, I I used to stand in front of my mirror with my guitar and my bright pink hair. And I was a little punk rocker, but who couldn't fucking play your guitar, right? I <laughs> right. just like, I, but I wanted to express that. So while I'm in college and I'm doing stuff with this troupe, I am diving deeper into avant-garde art burlesque world. Uh, I fell in love with Philippe Petit, who was the tightrope walker, uh, who walked between the Twin Towers in 1974, right? So I'm kind of, I steered my college experience into um, more fringe arts, Mm -hmm. right? And I looked further, social media is starting to come alive at this point. It was my space. I I was researching a lot of burlesque performers, current burlesque performers, on MySpace, I'm like, what are they doing? And I would take trips to Seattle and do like burlesque research, right? Well, I'm doing stuff here and I still don't know exactly. Like, we show pasties, we dance, this is great. I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> right? So that was kind of, that's my roundabout journey, right? And that as social media, as my, mm. social media was a big deal because, yeah. oh, look, there is this other world, right? I read the books in the library and I still wasn't sure how they related to right now. So I'm watching people and, uh, I guess that's that's my journey in a nutshell, like getting mm-hmm. to burlesque. And I I like a, my preference still, I think, 
I like the hybrid. I love the organization of theater. I love the structure and the hierarchy mm -hmm. of it um, and the collaborative nature. I miss, I love being in charge of my own act as well. Yeah. But I do miss like when the you have the world in front of you, where the hell do you start? Yeah. I like there's there's freedom within limitations and mm -hmm. bouncing things off mm -hmm. of people's brains, which Absolutely. I love, like the jam time. So mm -hmm. I try to make my art as collaborative, yeah. but I'm driving it yes. <laughs> at the same time, you know, uh, as well as um, I don't know. I don't think I love burlesque. I love naked. I love the beautiful women. Just that's but I like I, my my own individual stuff tends to be a little more experimental to what burlesque is necessarily, but it wouldn't necessarily fit into a theater piece or yeah, yeah. because theater is not generally made of small vignettes, mm -hmm. you know, like well, a burlesque I, show. I think it, for in order for burlesque to be a variety art, you have to have a variety of presentations of burlesque. Mm, yes. So there isn't one right way or one thing that is burlesque, in my opinion. Which is another thing I absolutely love about burlesque. Like you get, I mean, the burlesque shows were, you had comedians, you had the singing girls, you had the mm -hmm. dancing, you know, and that is what burlesque is. This, and the striptease artists, right? But and it are common. My what I think of, right, as burlesque now is is the striptease artists. And there is going to be an element of nudity in my acts, mm -hmm. regardless, because this is like that in itself is like a whole nother can of worms of like <laughs> this is our bodies. They're just mm -hmm. fine. I'm going to show you mine. You have one too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They function, and I can do things with mine, and yeah. it's wonderful. You could do this too if you wanted to, <laughs> and in whatever way you choose, right? Uh, but uh, not necessarily like the prans and peel, whatever. So I do tend to, I use the broader, when I'm producing shows, the broader term of burlesque. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit of everything. Some people will delineate with variety shows. I'm like, well, that seems like they're the same thing to me, but that's okay. It does oh. to me too, actually. Okay, great. Yeah. Did you want to speak to your your journey? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my journey is long. <laughs> um, just basically, uh, when I was in high school, I was already, you know, I was already, I was going to Rocky Horror, which I think yes. is a lot of people's favorite, right? Yeah. And uh, it was the 70s, so Rocky Horror was really new. And yeah. in Atlanta, they were having a <coughs> variety show before the movie that had drag mm -hmm. queens and jugglers and all this <coughs> fun stuff. And uh, I was like, I'm going to do a striptease in it. Like, I'm going to, you know, and they didn't know I was underage. Like, I think I was 15 or 16. They didn't care. And so I did what I thought was a burlesque number. And I invited, I was in, I was in high school outcast, but I had, oddly, one of my best friends was the captain of the football team. Hmm. And I said, oh, Chris, I'm performing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'll bring, I'll bring some people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that I was any good, but I think it was entertaining because it wasn't really done, you know. Yeah. And then... um. And I always wanted to be a stripper, and I knew this. And so when I graduated from high school, um, I wanted to get away from home. And so I went to strip clubs. And you just walk in and get a job or not. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was on stage. I was like, I'm dancing on stage. And, you know, they just throw you in the water and see if you can swim. There wasn't yeah. any training or anything. And I had some glamorized ideas, uh, which actually uh, gave me inspiration to perform later on. Mm -hmm. But at first I was just so excited to be making my own money. Mm, yeah. And I, oh, I love making money. I love <laughs> the people in the dressing rooms. And I was actually fascinated by 
the customers as well and you know and sex drugs and rock and roll like that's what i wanted mm-hmm. you know and i didn't go to college right away because it would have interfered with my drug taking mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I went in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I started to find out that there was such a thing as a feature dancer, which mm-hmm. is a touring headlining stripper. And there's kind of a circuit for them in strip joints. And you would do these 15 to 20 minute numbers that basically looked like burlesque from the 30s, 40s, mm. and 50s, except it was updated. Um, and some people did do vintage style burlesque when they did it. I did a fan dance then and I think I did my first fan dance in 91. And everybody wow. was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but they liked it, but they were just a little baffled. But then I did like fire eating and stuff like that and that they related mm. to. So I was doing fetish numbers. And mm. like in the early 90s, fetish was still kind mm-hmm. of underground. It still is to be yeah. real. You know, like just because my feed is full of it doesn't mean most people <laughs> Right. Um, so I was able to uh, do these more elaborately themed. And then I had a friend come and say, oh, you're doing performance art in some of these numbers. Like I did a nurse that went out into the audience and gave people prescriptions and then cured them. And, <laughs> you know, you could do but You had a lot of leeway. You had yeah. a lot of freedom. You created your own stuff. Um, but it was incredibly expensive to get started because you had to start out with eight to 12 developed routines. And so very expensive to yeah. start. It did pay very well. So that's the thing about strip joints, right? Mm-hmm. But this now the, was this still in Atlanta, or had you moved to New York at this point? I, you know, when did I you traveled around a little bit. So I lived in Atlanta from like when I was uh, eleven to, and I think I let go of my apartment in Atlanta when I was thirty-five. And so I've been in New York mostly full time for over twenty years. But I was going back and forth, and for a while I was a groupie, and I was. Uh, going between Atlanta, LA, and New York. And I didn't mm-hmm. work in LA very much. Mm-hmm. I didn't strip there. I would make all my money in Atlanta and New York and then go in LA and hang out on the strip and go to, um, <laughs> oh, we went to the Rainbow Room <laughs> with coconut teasers. And, you know, yeah, we. I, I was thinking about that the other day, how much influence we strippers had on the way those men looked, <laughs> right? I was like, the strippers don't look like the rock stars. The rock stars look like the strippers. We were literally doing their hair. So <laughs> they just get the credit for it. Yeah. Yep, they get the credit. <coughs> Ain't that it? But it, it was, um, you know, so I was feature dancing at that time. And then I found feature dancing difficult because I'd have to travel from place to place meet a new strip club owner every week, which I didn't enjoy, because about at least half of strip joint owners are um, interesting. (laughs) You know, I didn't love that part. Um, But I did like, you know, and I had to, you have to have credits to be a feature dancer. So I did a lot of centerfolds really fast, Mm. which was super fun. (laughs) Um, And that was interesting, because in Atlanta, um, you dance nude, at that time, you dance nude on the tables, um, but there wasn't any contact at that time. There were no poles. We couldn't mm-hmm. bend over. Um, so it's kind of ladylike, naked but ladylike, right? <laughs> Which ladylike, as we all know, is a trap yeah. term. Oh my but gosh. The prim and proper. Oh, no, no, no. Whenever, <laughs> I, whenever someone says you're a nice lady, I'm oh. like, I, I, I like, don't correct that. Yeah. Just accept it. <laughs> so I was doing these elaborate routines. I got tired of that particular grind. I sold most of my costumes. I moved to New York with the money I made from selling my costumes. And then um, I was doing uh, academic presentations and working with legislators on what we're now calling sex workers' rights, Mm -hmm. advocacy, and activism. Um, Then 
I went to a burlesque show with my friend Bambi the Mermaid. And I was like, I do this. (laughs) And it's without all the other stuff that's a pain in my neck. Yeah. But also without the big money, so. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and it was, you know, it was embryonic at the time, the Mm neo-burlesque scene. So there weren't very many rhinestones in sight. And I had been a costumer also, so I was like, let's put some beaded fringe and rhinestones up in this. And, Mm -hmm. And then I saw other people that were doing more similar stuff but for me it was an opportunity to do this kind of like punk rock thing like you were talking about being our own rock star after having been a groupie it was really <laughs> I was like you know I have talents too right mm-hmm. yeah but yeah but I mean being a groupie was fun but it was also <laughs> a hideously misogynistic homophobic oh, society uh, like yeah mm, I mean yeah 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 <laughs> it's like Every now and then I'll be like, oh, that's not the best memory. (laughs) Some song will come on the radio and I'll be like, oh, that guy. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it shaped you into who you are. Yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be any different than I am. And I, you know, I think, you know, there, there's, well, I won't get into that too much. Someday I'll write about that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I'd love to. There's a lot of, like, I look back and I go, bless their hearts and bless mine too, because (laughs) I was not behaving well. But, (laughs) Uh, so I started doing neo-burlesque in New York, and I was very passionate about the older women in burlesque because what a lot of people don't remember now when you have all this information at your fingertips, uh, we didn't know yeah. who most of these women in these vintage images were. Mm-hmm. And so discovering who they were and honoring their artistic legacy and their like their spiritual outlaw legacy was mm-hmm. so important to me. So while I was also doing like crazy performance art pieces, it was really important to me to honor what they had been doing, like yeah. to do a fan dance and mm-hmm. to peel a glove. And, you know, like if you read about Gypsy Rose Lee's real life, I mean, it doesn't look that easy in the movie Gypsy, but when you read about her real life, it's like, oh my God. So you peel a glove and you think, you know, this is this is for you and all you went through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that connection in classic burlesque, but I also think that, um, I would never have gotten interested if there wasn't also the neo, you know, mm-hmm. crazy element because I when I used to do poetry readings when I was young, yeah. I would take off my clothes and they would be like you can't do that and I'm like it's part of my art. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'd be reading these like po- really blasphemous <laughs> vile poems and taking off my clothes and nobody else was taking off their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so all of these things tie in for me. Uh, yeah. But for me, a lot of it is the history of sex workers and the yeah. erasure of their identities and and their contributions is really, really, really mm-hmm. important to me. Um, and it's not separate from all that, but it's it's a distinctive element yeah. of you know the history of theater and what neo burlesque is. So um, Every time I peel a glove, I'm thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I twirl a tassel, I'm thinking about the fact that tassel twirling is really only a hundred years old. Yeah, we can't find any examples of it prior to that. So it's this thing that women invented. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, you know, when I was growing up, was treated like a joke. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it is fun. <laughs> I I love teaching people tassel twirling and watching this room full of women, topless together that don't know each other. They're <laughs> very well wearing pasties looking at their naked selves in the mirror and Mm. smiling when they see it happen yeah it you know it changes me every time i see it every time i see them like looking at their bodies and smiling 
you know. You know, it reminds me for some reason. Uh, oh, it was because Anne Bancroft is in your book. There's that picture of Anne Bancroft, and so I was thinking of The Graduate. And there's that scene in The Graduate where Benjamin takes the daughter to the bar. Isn't the, that an interesting and the, scene? And yeah. the woman is twirling. You know her tassels behind her, and I'm forgetting the actress's name now. You know who's Catherine Ross. Catherine Ross is just so humiliated, and I just thought it was so interesting. The message there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, it's really one of the most interesting scenes in the movie if you look at it from the standard point of all the gender roles that are happening. Yeah, and it's interesting also because there's that implication (coughs) that it's humiliating for her yeah and do we do we know that that would have been the case Mm. like you know but his intention was to be disrespectful to her to humiliate her yeah it's a really interesting scene i've thought about it a lot i think it would be very different now you know maybe it depends on the people involved and the intention of the people involved in their relationship to each other Mm. like they had a bad relationship but it's also one of those (laughs) movies where you like he treats you like crap that he's the guy for you. Right, and then uh, takes you out for french fries afterwards, I think. Yeah, because he's so not the guy. He's so not the guy. And it, and if, you know, as strippers, we don't want to be engaged in that. So I felt like that was a little bit of a misrepresentation yeah. of how a stripper would have interacted in that situation. Because we don't, yeah. that's not what we're there for. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's an interesting scene. It's an interesting scene. That actually was one thing I was going to ask about because it's a, it's definitely a world that that the that films and shows love. And I was wondering if there is any media that you think did it well or like represented it accurately. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there's it's interesting because um, you know there's a lot of talk right now about the movie Hustlers yeah. and. Some sex workers are very happy with it and some are not. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do, I don't know quite how to put this, but I'm going to say yeah. whether or not something is empowering for any given individual depends on in which area they need to be empowered. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, so there are some people who are more sensitive about being represented as <clears throat> problematic in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who are more concerned about other elements of representation in, in adult entertainment and sex work. So it's Mm -hmm. just hard to say. I personally felt that it portrayed a lot of stuff really accurately. Mm -hmm. As I was watching it, I was like, that would not all happen (laughs) in the same kind of strip joint, and that probably isn't what they'd wear, and a few little things like that that didn't overall detract from a lot of what was shown. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's also a movie terrible movie called well I don't know if it's terrible it's not good (laughs) called The Big Town that has Matt Damon and Diane Lane in it Mm. and she plays the evil gangster's wife you know she's bad she's a bad 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 (laughs) (laughs) and it looks a lot like you know the cover of those old pulp novels it's pretty Mm -hmm. fabulous and she does a fan dance and she's okay she's a bad person in the movie supposedly well no she is her character is a bad person um, and so you could say, oh, that's, you know, portraying the stripper as the evil person. And I'm like, well, but there's this whole other thing that happens when she's on stage. And you see that she does her performance professionally. And she it's the fan dance that I actually learned a lot of my mm. early fan dancing from. But she also has these moments that only someone who knew would would have spotted where she walks out she doesn't say anything but she leans down to this you can't hear what she's saying she leans down to a guy and says something to him 
and he laughs and she kicks his beer over in his lap. So what happened was he had a beer on her stage mm-hmm. and she told him mm-hmm. to get it off and yeah. he laughed at her and she kicked it over on him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is so freaking real. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, her ex supposedly ex-boyfriend is in there and she's fucking with him at the same time that she's doing her perfectly professional performance and there's so much going on there it just really works for me Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the scene in Lenny the movie about Lenny Bruce where a woman is uh, Valerie Perrine is performing as Hot Honey Harlow and I know a lot about Hot Honey Harlow's personal history, and I know who all the people in the audience are meant to represent. Mm. And I'm sure Bob Fosse did as well. So to a casual observer, it might not all be there, but I know who everyone in that audience is, who they represent. Mm. Oh, wow. That's and it's so cool. mind-blowing. And I know a lot about Hot Honey Harlow because I was really studying her for a while. Um, but there are a lot, in, in, in everything, there's something of interest. Like, like, you know, a lot of sex workers understandably are annoyed by the movie Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. But there's one scene in it that is so real and funny to me, which is when she's in bed with Richard Gere and she's talking about the travails of sex work. And she goes, she goes, I, you know, I, I can't remember exactly how she puts it, but she says something along the lines of, yeah, I pretend to enjoy it. And then she looks at him and goes, except with you, of course. <laughs> and I'm like, how is that not, how is, that's so iconic. <laughs> yes. um, and the dress that she wore, I was obsessed with because we were wearing them in strip joints. Mm. And I was also making clothing for strippers out of that fabric, which is really difficult to find now. And that, you know, that cutout design Mm -hmm. that's based on like 60s and 70s bathing suits, which were based on 30s and 40s bathing suits. And there's a whole lot of history in that. And it's also not the least accurate thing I've ever seen. Mm. Like, you know, at the same time that there's so many moments in that movie that are just not right mm-hmm. um, and you know and the interesting thing about that movie oh god you guys you should stop <laughs> no please no, this, is, this is wonderful this is please is the interesting thing about that movie and remember the movie Risky Business mm-hmm. yes okay can you imagine that's that one of the first rated now? R movies I ever saw can you imagine <laughs> them getting that movie made now no way, no way. Wow. But both Risky Business and Pretty Woman originally had very unhappy endings for the, mm. the sex workers in the movie and the endings were changed. Hmm. And since I know the original endings, like I've done a lot of research mm-hmm. on this kind of stuff, I know the original endings, I find the movies more appropriate than I would have found the coming to a mm. bad ending endings, yes. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I'm, and I know that it's just like the audience really doesn't want to see that bad ending. It's a well, downer. What would the bad ending of Risky Business be? Uh, Does she get arrested or something? No, she just comes to a bad end. She's, you know, they're not. It's not as because at the end of of as it is now, she's talking about you know all her entrepreneurial plans and having seen her operate, you believe in her entrepreneurial plans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the to me less believable ending was that she just came to a bad end, mm-hmm. which I don't even remember the details of the bad end, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, Julia Roberts, or uh, what's her name? What's the name of that character? Oh, it starts with a V. I, I don't remember. Oh, no. It's been Vivian? a really long Vivian. time. Vivian. Is it Vivian? <laughs> so Vivian, um, at the end, you know, there's like a happy Cinderella kind of ending. And, I, you know, it's kind of irritating. Like, oh, she doesn't need a man to do that. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, considering the income gap seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> but the... Uh, at the end of the other one, she, you know, has a bad ending, um, the the original ending, and they got rid of it. And I, I 
prefer and find more realistic the actual ending. Mm. So, mm-hmm. and it isn't yeah. that people don't have difficult times and come to bad mm-hmm. ends. It's that the character that they showed in that line of work, um, these made sense to me. Well, the yeah. old film codes were, if I remember correctly, the postcode movies. So what? post-1933 or something like that, any woman of the night or woman who, you know, acted inappropriately had to come to a bad end. There's, that, yeah, there's yeah. an amazing documentary that just came out called Whores on Film. Oh, mm-hmm. And awesome. you can read about it at whoresonfilm.com. And they are looking at, it's a bunch of sex workers looking at sex workers on film and talking about their reactions to it. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Produced and made by sex workers. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to see. I haven't seen it yet, but I talked to her. I'm oh, not in the so cool. documentary, but I talked to her because I used a uh, mention of her film in a presentation I did on sex workers and fashion. So That's so cool. Yeah. All right. What else? What else? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know that was great. That was great. S- really fascinating. One tidbit to tie it all together <laughs> is that when I went to... Um, the International uh, Conference on Prostitution, obviously there were a lot of prostitutes there. Mm-hmm. And um, like Annie Sprinkle and Carol Lee and all these amazing people were there. And I did not know them. So it was my first time meeting them after all these years of feeling yeah. alone in my you know, sex workers' rights struggle, which I really wasn't, but I didn't know it. Mm. Um, and so it was at the era of everyone wearing a ribbon to represent a cause, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, there was talk about what the ribbon would be. Mm. And so we went, oh, it should be leopard print. It should be leopard print. (laughs) And then, yeah. But then uh, I think it was Dolores French who came up with the obvious thing. She's like, no, it should be a $100 bill. (laughs) 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 So we were all wearing $100 bills made into ribbons. That was awesome. We're the sex worker contingency. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, We're here for labor rights and labor rights. (laughs) Monday. Resources. So, yeah. Um, since we are like uh, we're a part of the Tree Fort Music Fest, we talk a lot about music, and certainly a part of burlesque is the music aspect. And I wanted to ask both of you about kind of the role of music in your work, and also just personally. Music is the hardest element for me, mm. which is strange. I think a lot of people that I know find the song and they're like, "I'm going to perform something to this song. It's beautiful," or the song steers. The performance, whether it's the lyrics or the message in the song itself, um, finding the music is hard for me. I mm. like, I am a music fan, yeah. but I've never like <laughs> honed into like this is mine and I'm mm-hmm. all in and this is my scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I blame my like Lawrence Welk upbringing on that because <laughs> that's, this is what we listen to. Uh, but I. My preference is getting recommendations from people who are like, no, you're going to love this here. And I'm like, oh, you're mm. right, I do. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really start with like a concept or an idea, yeah. feeling that I want, and then I try to narrow that down into specificities, and then I find the song to match mm. that. And I usually farm that out. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about this. <laughs> Tell me what fits oh, this. Cool. That's, That's cool. Yeah, and put I put the feelers out. Yeah, I put the feelers out to people who know how my brain functions <laughs> you have like Better certain people that are like your music people yeah kind of uh cool. I, my my husband is a musician and yeah. i really enjoy uh he's excellent at like steering me into th- uh towards something and or creating something with me or 
for me or mm-hmm. or smashing things together. I really like to juxtapose yeah. songs together. So something very like bubblegummy and cute and then like raw, let's be like an <laughs> 80s stripper, right? Yeah. And it's the same character. It's just two different sides of this woman. So, um, but I guess even that, like, so that, that instance is the howdy-do cherry let me bake you a cake song. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. It's <laughs> yeah. really, right. It's it's pretty. And then mixed with, um, she's my cherry pie, right? So it's the same woman. and But it's like, these are the different yeah. sides. And I feed you and I feed you sex mm. as well, right? Like, this is my rule. Um, so I guess still for me, it's more about the concept. But I do yeah. like, I like to, uh, I like to goof it up. And play, yeah. but or and just random radio listenings help. I get a lot of uh, Terry Gross um, gives me a lot yes. of recommendations, <laughs> uh, both for books and music. Yes. Uh, and so I, you know, I usually have something, some talk droning on in the background, and somebody will say something, and I will be like, "Oh, I must look into that." Yeah. Okay, and then I have to make a note of it, or I forget. What about you? Um, I would, you know, I have a. A eclectic taste. Uh, when I was in high school, I was a punk rocker, and so yeah. that's the '70s. So yeah. that's like people were real intense about punk rock, but I was still secretly also listening to my Dean Martin and Roger <laughs> Miller mm-hmm. albums and my oh, <gasps> Keely Smith. Oh my god! So <laughs> you know, and then also it wasn't cool to be listening. Like I love prog rock. I love Jethro Tull so much. <laughs> oh my gosh. And nobody <laughs> like nobody. Well, every now and then someone will go, "Me too." We all love Jethro Tull, and we're like yes let's talk about Jethro Tull um so I actually have done a a group chair dance in the cabaret style to Aqualung oh that's amazing oh, that's yes so I, I do stuff like that but um for a while when I very first started doing neo burlesque I would only perform to female vocalists mm. or artists and um I just needed that for a while because I had just come out of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm like more relaxed about it. And I just did uh, for my uh, 57th birthday, I did a show uh, called, because um, I did a show called Cat House the year before to mm-hmm. celebrate the release of the mm-hmm. history of Leopard Print. Um, so we did Cat House to the metal years nice. and did mostly That's metal. So cool. and, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> So all of it, like to me, um, some of the ultimate stripper music is ACDC mm-hmm. and Led Zeppelin and all the stuff we were dancing to early on. It's also a lot of it is really problematic. Like I'll be listening to my Kiss album and I'm rocking oh. out and all of a sudden I'll go, oh, that's not good. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn it. And, um, but, you know, I also have gone through phases where I only, you know, when I was uh, first getting interested in punk, part of it was because there were so many women artists. Mm. Right. So I was really into the Pretenders. I was yeah. really into Blondie. Mm-hmm. I was really into um, X-ray Specs. I was really into um, the Slits and you know just all this stuff. <laughs> the slits. I'm just listening so to uh, Vivian's book right now. Oh, oh. I hear uh, her second I, one's really good. I heard about her through Terry Gross. I was like, I've never heard of the Slits. <laughs> okay, now I must know, oh, and I'm yeah. just about finished with the book. They're oh, amazing. Are you reading her first book or the one that just recently uh, came out? The one that just recently yeah. came I've out. Heard their, uh, that to Throw Away really Unopened. Yeah. Mm. The first one's excellent, too. Okay. Noted. Thank you. And it's all about her time with the slits. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Okay. It's really, Love it. Really great. And yeah, and but when I'm talking to students about choosing mm-hmm. music, there's a whole other thing that I have to do, which is different than, you know, it's like... Um, you have to really love the song mm-hmm. because you're going to hear it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to, if it has lyrics or a history of having lyrics, you have to really know them, not just sing along with them. You have to stop, 
Find a version of the lyrics without music and read them out loud. And if you shouldn't say it in your <sighs> mouth, it shouldn't. If those words shouldn't be in your mouth, you shouldn't be dancing to them on stage. Mm-hmm. And this is because a lot of. And it started out when I noticed a lot of people dancing to "American Woman" on the Fourth of July. I'm like, this is not a pro-American song. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what you're listening to? And then I would go, oh, there's a not that song, but other songs. Like, oh, there's a slur. Did you ever notice uh, that? And they're like, no, I didn't. Yeah. I'm like, this song is about a 14-year-old girl. Did you ever notice? Uh, no, I didn't. So we had to like start listening. Yeah. And then, so there's that, like know what your music is. And to some extent, if appropriate, if it has history, know a little bit about that history. Like, you know, if you're white, you can't dance to Strange Fruit. You may not, you know, (laughs) it's, or you can, but live with the consequences because it's a bad decision. And, you know, your audience is going to suffer and people are going to feel bad and that's not what you want, right? (laughs) Um, So I also um, tell them like just artistically um, for the song that... You have to understand audience expectations when a song starts. Mm. And then you can fulfill them or you can confound them, but you can't ignore them because the audience will disconnect from you. So if a song has personal meaning for you, you have to figure out whether or not it also works for your number. Like, let's say um, a good example, Welcome to the Jungle starts, right? <laughs> what is What does the audience expect? What are they going to picture? You need to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And then you can fulfill it and do whatever it is you think they expect, or you can confound it and surprise them with, you know, it may be politics or comedy or something dark, mm-hmm. but whatever it is, you should be conscious, be paying attention. I always tell people, if you pay attention to the audience, they'll pay attention to you, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's not a matter of pandering, it's a matter of communicating, mm-hmm. right? And then know how you're, know how the music ends, because a lot of music... They don't think it happens as much anymore. I'm not noticing it in Top 40. The, a lot of music fades the out. fade out. I mm-hmm. remember that so specifically in my song, the, what I did with at the new, when I took the six-week class yeah. um, was a fade out, and I didn't know how to fix that on my own, and it was terrible, and I that sticks in my head always. I can no work. Outs. You can work with a you fade can, out, right. but it's harder than working with like a, an ending that really lands. Sharp Because your number mm-hmm. begins and ends, and you want it to begin. Yeah. Clearly and end clearly. Unless you don't, of course, you know, if you're like, I want it to be vague. You want to be making that choice, not do it by accident. Yes. So that's a lot. I mean, I could go on about music for days. Mm. And also there's a thing about burlesque standards, you know, the sort of jazz instrumentals that evoke classic burlesque. And there's a whole history there of what (laughs) we, which era we think it's evoking and which era it was actually Mm. produced in or written in. Um, but um, I approve of burlesque standards for the most part, depending on the song. There's a few I'm I'm like, no, not anymore. Um, <laughs> because it evokes that era, and you can play with that or you can work against it, right? But there's a reason that it originally worked for burlesque. Mm-hmm. And it is some of the greatest music ever made because these are some of the greatest artists ever, ever mm-hmm. producing music. Um, and so some people who are doing burlesque will say, oh, that music is tired. We shouldn't use it because of the, and I disagree because most of the time a new student is bringing in a new audience. And if that audience has never experienced mm-hmm. seeing yeah. someone dance to yeah. Night Train, why would you deprive them? Because someone in their sophomore phase is yeah. embarrassed that they used to do it and they want to give you shit for trying to do it now. We did Big Spender. I've done yes. one burlesque uh, post-divorce. And, and why I should do you? something to empower myself. And so I moved back to Boise and that and that uh, Kelly 
Yeah. yeah. Kelly led the workshop that I took, and we performed it at the Old Ophidia. Nice. And it was so much fun. It is. Now, oh the, my the history of that song is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was wondering. Yeah. But that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but it's just, you know, like, I don't feel like everything, you know, you, you can do the thing yeah. and have it mean what it means right now, too. But there's a lot of stuff that, uh, when people are choosing music that I think about that isn't that personal to me mm-hmm. because there's a learning curve. I'm like, I'm going to remove, I'm actually not putting obstacles in your way. I'm removing obstacles <laughs> from you having an effective yeah. performance. Right. Mm. You know, because I'll go, oh, I really wanted to do that. I'm like, nope, sorry. <laughs> you will not get the effect that you're talking about wanting. What do you want the end result to be? Yeah, Let's start right. there. Uh, so this so, sounds like writing workshops. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of writing is hard. <laughs> well, we'd love to know who some of your favorite authors are, since you know we are the Story Fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, now I'm stuck. It's a hard. There's course. so many good ones. Um, we won't hold you to it as okay. just being your absolute yeah. favorite. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm um, just give me a sec. Um, I read a lot, and all these things are flashing through my mind because, yeah. like, right now I'm rereading. Uh, Philip Pullman. <gasps> oh, yes. Yeah, because yeah, his Dark Materials yes. is on TV. on HBO. And, yeah. 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 Um, oh, that's such a, always a good choice. To yeah. Go back yeah. So, so good. And um, his new series is good, too, if you it, haven't started it yet. I, I read the first one. I haven't read the second one yet. It's great. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, so that. And then in mind with that, I also love the Bartimaeus trilogy. Mm. Have you ever oh, read? I haven't. Is read. It? Okay. Read, so I usually have to read on Kindle because I have eye issues. Mm. But it is much easier to read in print because okay. he uses these asides and footnotes that are oh. brilliant. The brilliant. Oh, and nice. it's a really interesting examination mm-hmm. of imperialism. Oh, wow. I'm forgetting the author's name. Is it Stroud? Not- Jonathan Stroud. I do like a good footnote. I, it <laughs> might be, I think it's Jonathan Stroud. You a might want to double check footnote. that. Um, I, love, uh, I love Maya Angelou. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so. I just read City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert, and I loved it. I heard that was I've good. heard so many good things about it. I yeah. haven't read it yet. That and her other book, what was it called? The Signature of All Things, mm. which is, I would never, if I had read what it was about before I read it, I would, I'd be like, I'm not going to enjoy this. And I thought <laughs> it was wonderful. And I feel like I'm forgetting all these amazing oh, authors. Oh, of course. That's the way it like, works. Like, I want to pick up my phone and go, what, what am I reading right now? Yeah. Um, yes. And then I still love, you know, the poets that I loved in, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. So I still love, I, although it's interesting looking back at them, and I've read a lot of analysis th- from them in the current media, you know, different perspectives than I would have had then. But there is no replacement for what they did for me then. No. Mm-hmm. You know, what uh, like what Anne Sexton yes. meant to me and all that. So That's what's so fascinating about that kind of literature, though, is how it changes over time. Our mm-hmm. interpretations are always evolving. So it's yeah. like a living thing in yeah. a way, which is kind of cool. And so not everything holds up for me that I loved mm-hmm. then, but there's just a... a the way that they saved my life. Yeah, sure. I can't do anything about that. You yeah. know, I can't even even when I read them now and I'm like, oh, but yeah, they did save my life at the time. All of the feminist poets, mostly of the yeah. 60s and 70s, were a huge thing for me and really shaped a lot of my perspective and tastes. I really love Patti Smith. Speaking I love Patti Smith. Yeah. yeah, she's incredible. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting so many amazing writers. Um, <laughs> I have... Um, Oh, God, you guys. That's really bad. <laughs> Did you listen to the, uh, her recording of Just Kids of Patty no, Smith? No, not yet. Did you? 
Oh, I didn't listen oh, to it. Listen I should listen to it, except you'll weep. I cried reading that book a lot. Yeah. And I love Lily Barana because she wrote the book Strip City. Mm. Strip City. So Lily Barana wrote uh, this memoir about stripping where she traveled across the country and did sort of a retirement tour. Mm. And it is one of the most honest books about stripping I have read because, you know, most strippers are ambivalent. It's great. It's awful. It's great. It's mm. awful. It's great. It's awful. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And um, I think to not acknowledge either aspect is to be overly political. Mm. Like there's never just... Yeah. There's not, not there's never even only two sides to a re- given reality. So yeah. it does a great job of that. But over and over in her memoirs, she has a kindness as she remembers mm. things where she mm. withholds nothing. You know, you don't feel like she's uh, sugarcoating anything. But at the same time, she has enormous compassion for herself and the people around her. And I was like, how do you write a memoir without trashing some of the people yeah. that you've had conflicts with along the way? And she manages to do it. Oh, so wow. I'm really... Oh, that's lovely. It's really beautiful, but I'm for, she's wonderful, but I'm forgetting a million writers that I love. Oh, I love Molly Crabapple. Um, I love, she has done some really interesting examinations of uh, what it's like to be an activist now. And Mm. also her coverage of politics is so unflinching. Yeah. And she's addressing uh, areas of politics that don't make the biggest headlines and a lot of overlooked material. And then, and I really love that. And she also has done just incredible uh, memoirish work. I'm forgetting. I can I, I, like <laughs> books are going through my mind. Uh, there was a, I'm gonna okay. I'll mention one more. There's an incredible book about the Triangle Fire. It's in oh. the index of the book, and I cannot remember the author off the top of my head because there's a lot of books yeah. about the Triangle Fire. Do you mind looking and seeing who the author is? Not at all. Was this the dressmaking fire? The the dressmaking fire, yeah. But there's a lot of books about it. And why this book in particular was so amazing to me, like the depth of his research and the way he humanized all these people and the way he described, like he describes women standing up, these immigrant young women standing up to these basically mob bosses. Is it Triangle, the Fire that Changed America by David Von Drell? Yeah, it's stunning. It is absolutely stunning. Okay. And so, and oh, oh, while we're talking about the index of this book, Eartha (laughs) Kitt's uh, biographies, or autobiographies, Eartha Kitt's autobiographies are so good. Um, For the history of burlesque, there's a lot of amazing books. Leslie Zemeckis has done some incredible research and great, great books about it. And I've just, you know, and just recently I've read some stunning things. I just read uh, Trick Mirror. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been really wanting to read. It's been on my list for a while. I mean, it reads to me, and it may not be the way it was meant to be read, but it it reads to me as essays. And just the first essay Mm -hmm. on the about being on the internet, I had to stop reading and think about for a while. Oh, I like that. Hmm. Oh, wow. I like that effect. Yeah. And she talks about problematic things but also doesn't say I'm not participating in this so Mm. she's not the person standing there going oh you people who aren't doing things right she's like this is why we're not doing things right and how do we handle that and um, you know she has an interest in social justice but she's not someone standing up there going I have been Mm -hmm. saved you all sinners listen to me she's really digging deep Mm. but there's so many so many books that I love and I think Okay, so I'm going to give a lot away here. I'm giving a lot away here. <laughs> My favorite book of all time is probably The Last Unicorn. I Aww. love that book by Peter That's, Beagle. Mm-hmm. Peter S. Beagle. It's, it's amazing. It's so tender. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I just reread it for the first time since childhood a couple years ago. And mm-hmm. then, yeah. How often do you return to it? 
Um, I used to know it by heart. <laughs> yes. I know yes, I yes, check yes. it out every now and then. I love um, that. I'm also like, I just, this is kind of an aside to uh, reading, but like, I feel like television is kind of catching up with literature in terms yeah. of nuance and presentation. Absolutely. And so often if I see something on TV, if it has an original book, I go back to it and I'm very grateful for that mm -hmm. the yeah. inspiration. Frankie, do you have some books that you return to a lot or your favorites? I'm terrible at remembering authors, yes. but uh, childhood favorites for sure. Uh, the Giving Tree <laughs> and where the sidewalk ends. Like mm -hmm. that is uh, the, where the sidewalk ends. And then later I uh, found Shel Silverstein's adult stuff. Oh my mm. gosh, which is amazing. Oh, oh yeah. I saw Polly in a porny. You guys, my yeah. mind was blown. Yeah. And I loved him even more. <laughs> totally. It was really, uh, totally. we played with some of his songs. Oh, uh, that's so cool. Essie Hinton's The Outsiders mm -hmm. is going to stick with me forever. Stay gold, pony boy. Mm -hmm. um, and I do have to refer to my list, but um, I find David Sedaris to be very soothing. Yes. I love David I, so. I am very much an audiobook listener yeah. because I, I don't sit still very well. Yeah. Um, and David Sedaris has gotten me through many a hard night, and I like his. Yeah. He's very real and funny as hell, but so he's like. He made my lovely Catholic father, who, you know, he's old, right? Uh, we were listening to an audiobook uh, together, and he's like, oh, is this a woman? And we're towards the end, right? It was me talk pretty one day, and he's referencing him and Hugh. And yeah. I was like, no, Dad, it's no. David, it's a man. He's like, ah, oh, okay. But that was like my father's first experience with someone who was, this was like 17 years ago, right? Yeah. But it was like, oh, it's okay. Like, yeah. this is the person I'm enjoying and finding, right? Uh, anyways, David Sedaris is lovely. Um, I have, I've been listening to a lot of um, really depressing stuff lately. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And I've, I've recently discovered Randy Schultz, um, and he wrote The Mayor of Castro Street, mm. as well as, um, and the band plays on documenting. Oh, them. gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounded familiar. Uh, there... I'm not finding her at the moment. She wrote um, Dope Sick about mm. the opioid epidemic, yeah. and she's been... So I really... I kind of like the cultural, historical... Yeah. Like, let's talk about public health, and let's get sure, real, guys, because this is fucked. Yes. And let's change the system, and I want to learn from the people who've done the research, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to apply it to my life where, yeah. where it is. But So I've been... That's That's been my... I, I got a little dark with my, my reading <laughs> list, at, and so I had to lighten up, lighten up a yes. little bit. Uh, the... I listened to, uh, the, it's called White Trash. It was a female oh, yeah. author. Have you read that? I have not read it, but I... Oh, my gosh. Like, let's go beyond beyond the racism in our country and talk about the classism that mm -hmm. came over in, like, the 14 and 1500s mm -hmm. and how the race... Oh, 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 my God. It yeah. destroyed me. Um, and I was completely enthralled by the whole thing and I go back and reference it quite regularly mm. and in seeing things much differently through like oh, this doesn't need to be this way right but this yeah. is how it is but it, it, it's giving me a different perspective so I'm not accepting the reality yeah. as it's presented which is yeah. I, I appreciate books that can do that definitely you yeah. should read the Poisonwood Bible oh my Thank you. Oh, to it. gosh okay. yeah I'm That'll making a list of what you're saying your by the way. you have to stop sometimes yes yeah. yes yeah. it's yeah uh, it's one of those overwhelming but lovely. 
I, I just read it for the first time and people had been recommending it to oh. me and I kept picking it up and I guess it wasn't the right time, but mm-hmm. it, it's is it, uh, essential reading in my opinion. Okay, is it? Uh, Barbara uh, Kingsolver. Barbara Kingsolver. Barbara Kingsolver, it's fiction. Thank you, that's what it, the word I was looking for. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I, I just want to mention, I just read uh, The Ghosts of Eden Park. Mm-hmm. Have you read The Ghosts mm-hmm. of Eden Park? No, that sounds familiar. Um, uh, the Ghost of Eden Park is amazing, and um, St. Mark's is Dead by Ada Calhoun I loved because she's writing about the uh, the history of St. Mark's, the hip street in New mm-hmm, York City, mm-hmm. right? And she talks to a lot of people who are all like, yeah, St. Mark's is dead, you know, back in the golden era, and they talk about this golden era of St. Mark's, and she starts to notice that each one of them is not talking about a specific year but about when they were 19. Oh, oh that's so wow. So when they experienced it, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. that's beautiful. Yeah. That's, that's a summary. Like, it's yeah, not yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, but oh, St. Mark's is so cool. Isn't that Sorry. great? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. And I'm not, it's not a spoiler. Like, you yeah. can totally read the book. But I love stuff like that because I feel like we're overdue for a lot of paradigm shifts. Yes. The way that we think um, yeah. things happen. Because mm-hmm. I, re- you know, I've been reading a lot of history and I've been reading a lot of, um, Nonfiction, like I've read, I just read "Clothing: A Global History," which is sort of semi-academic, mm-hmm. but this kind of stuff really inspires me because it starts out with this picture of, uh, I think it's the G8 at the time, you know, all these world leaders, and almost all of them are in what we think of as a business suit, and a few of them aren't. Mm. And what does that mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so the book basically, yeah, you know. So I'm really recommending reading fashion history to people as much as possible because there's such so much juicy stuff in there Mm. and such a a lot of paradigm shifts for the way that we think about the cultural meaning of fashion and also the way that we think about the history between continents and nations Mm -hmm. and the the way that industrialization flowed and that kind of thing. So it's just really... You know, the fact that history goes back not 600 years, but thousands and thousands Mm. and thousands of years. And the garment trade has been there the whole time. Right. Like, yeah. Clothed. Yeah. Yeah. And like jewelry is money and all these crazy things that you don't think about. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's a really powerful study. That's fantastic. That's fascinating. Oh, that's amazing. Life's too yeah. short for all the reading. I know. I, know. I, know. Like, I just like to take a book bath. I just like, you <laughs> yes, know, so I like totally. go into a bookstore or library or look at my books and I just take a book bath and they all just yes. wash over me and I feel like I may not be able to read you all, but I feel like <laughs> you washing over me. Yeah. yeah. I can smell you. The same universe. Well, we do have to to wrap up, but I will say just to, to finish off, I would encourage everyone to go buy Joe Weldon's books. Yes. <laughs> yes. Fierce. Fierce. The History of Leopard Print and the Burlesque Handbook. And you can get them really anywhere books are sold. Right. Yes, yeah, support your independent Supp- bookstores. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you at the fest. Tomorrow, but tomorrow never came. Oh, yesterday you said.